Miguel Aziz's first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. A scrappy win against the Hammers in East London. And Arsenal draw just a little bit closer to the Champions League spot. You can almost taste it. You really can. It's just on the tip of your tongue, but you know. With just one slight mix-up or Liverpool not doing their job, the script can flip just that quickly. But that's not what we're here to talk about. The season is coming to an end in many of the lower divisions, and our players on loan are finishing up for what the most part was excellent seasons for each and every one of them. There are a few players who are now done, finished their season. That's Brooke Norton Cuffey. That is Ryan Alabiosu, that is Matthew Smith, that is Jordi Osei Tutu. Uh, a few others who now through injury most likely will not feature again. That is Daniel Ballard, that is Carl Hine, Tyrese John Jules, Tim Akinola, and now Nikolai Moeller, who has picked up a foot injury. But before we get to those whose seasons are finished, let's talk about those whose seasons are still very much going on and very much have major matches to play. First and foremost, Reese Nelson, who yet again puts in two fantastic performances in the space of four days. I mean, the switch that this guy has had since January when he came back from COVID and injury, it is like night and day. It is the player we all knew was there for so long, and many of us doubted we'd ever see. And that's not to say we didn't rate him as a player or think he has that talent, but sometimes the mindset gets in your way. And Reese Nelson is a player who has started to prove the doubters very, very wrong. And it's very exciting to see. Just to start, he played 65 minutes at right wing in what was an absolute shitfest. Uh, against Marseille in the semifinal of the Conference League. And I have to say, I wasn't all that excited about the Conference League when they created it because, first and foremost, I didn't want Arsenal to have to go play Muramasa or whatever that team was in the midst of whatever country that is in Eastern Europe. But it's kind of been fun to watch some of these knockout ties because there's really just utter mayhem going on on the pitch as the teams really just go for it. I feel like there's so much less pressure on this competition because I'm not sure managers are so worried about winning it in terms of the legacy of winning the competition as you see with the Champions League or even Europa League. So it's made for a very interesting watch uh, as far as the knockout ties have gone. Uh, meanwhile, Reese really was excellent in the 65 minutes. He assisted the second goal after a wonderful run and cross uh, to find Sinistera who poked it home from just inside the 18-yard box. But Reese Nelson, like, he's added all these different elements to his game that we weren't necessarily seeing, right? He's not a player who just picks the ball up deep and can take a man on with his unbelievable pace and his unbelievable skill and dribbling abilities. But in this situation, he made an excellently timed run, saw that Marseille was playing in a very high line right at about the halfway part, saw that he could beat his defender into the uh, you know defensive third there of Marseille, and... He took his time, he had time on the ball, waited for Sinistera to pop open at the top of the box, lasered the ball across him on the ground, and, and a goal was scored. And, you know, Feyenoord went up 2-0 only for Marseille to get it back to 2-2 before Feyenoord eventually took the lead. But it's really great to see Reese add all these aspects to his game, 
And it's great to see it all come together at once. It's, it's not just one thing. It's composure, intelligence. His attitude on and off the pitch clearly have changed. And as I've mentioned many times, his physicality. I mean, I'm not sure if it was the strength that was the beginning of the domino effect, that once he felt that his body was at the level it needed to be, for him to be the player he always could be, that all these things kind of kicked in, or it was a mindset thing. And I always go back to when the Feyenoord manager kind of said he needed to see more from Reese and kind of gave him that kick in the butt in the media. And ever since then, Reese has really made a huge difference. And I think we saw similarly with when Arteta first came in and kind of kicked Reese in the butt and gave him that chance in the team that we saw him do that. So, you know, it's interesting to see there are so many aspects of the game that are so important more than just the intelligence you have, the skill you have, your, you know, all these different things that you learn from growing up. But it can be as simple as a manager giving you a kick in the ass and saying, you have this, you can do this, now let's fucking see it. Uh, and we're seeing that with Reese Nelson now. He, you know, just to finish off this game against Marseille, which was huge, and the second leg coming up this week, he was 23 of 25 passing, one key pass, two out of two dribbles. Like, he's not just doing the right things. He's not just putting the stats up in terms of goals and assists. He's being very efficient every time he touches the ball. Only misplacing two passes. Not trying any dribbles that don't come off. Like, these are the kinds of things you weren't seeing from Reese Nelson when he was a younger player. It was all kind of risk-reward. It, it was similar to—he's not a similar player to Nicolas Pepe, but I'm just using that as an easy comparison for Arsenal fans. Like, Nicolas Pepe is so frustrating because he tries and tries and tries, and when it comes off, it's great, and when it doesn't, he loses possession. The fact that Reese Nelson has become such an efficient player, that's what makes him very exciting to me. To have someone who's efficient in possession, especially— at a club like Arsenal, who like to play with possession, who don't like to give the ball away cheaply, and especially when they're playing better teams and kind of have to sit in a little more, don't want to be just having a player try something and losing the ball so quickly when they don't always have the ball so often. So it's great to see that from Reese, especially in such a huge match. Uh, as Feyenoord will go into that second leg of the semifinal, go to Marseille with a one-goal lead. Obviously, the away uh, goal rule is no longer in effect. So that's a big match. I'll be watching it. Uh, hopefully, you all followed along with kind of my Twitter thread if you're unable to watch uh, as I was detailing Reese's in-match moments. He then had another match later that weekend where he played 90 minutes, uh, starting at right wing, eventually moving to the left wing in the second half uh, as some substitutions were made. But he was brilliant yet again. He had both a goal and an assist. And again, he was incredibly efficient. 22 of 27 passing, three key passes, three shots, two of them on target. Three successful dribbles, eight out of 12 ground duels won, and five tackles. I mean, he was unlucky not to have three or four goals in this match just from having watched it. he There was one play where a, a, a defender made a beautiful, beautiful cross-field pass diagonal to Nelson in the box who absolutely had to stretch his leg as far as it went, brought it down in air, and just lashed at it a tiny bit over the bar. Um, and, and another opportunity where... You know, Nelson found himself in the box with a one-time option and, again, hit it just over the bar, but he's getting himself in the right areas. He's not being hesitant. He is taking the chances when they come to him, and, and a player of his age is always going to need to work on finishing. That's always usually, as far as wingers go, the last piece. I mean, look at Saka. As great as Saka is, obviously finishing, once he gets that, he, he'll be the complete product. Nelson's not on that level, but 
it's very common and not something that really worries me. If you're getting yourself in the right positions, the goals will come. And the goal he had was exactly that. He made a nice run off the back shoulder of a defender, which he knew he had the pace on. He had been beating him all day, received the ball in the box, took a touch on the keeper, and poked it home inside of the post, then across the line off the other post and in. It was great to see. And the assist was similar to his assist against Marseille, where he just received the ball, in this situation, he drove past that same defender. He had the pace on him all day, and he kept abusing him and, you know, t- took his time and played a hard ball across the middle of the box to find his attacker who just had an easy finish on an open net. And it's it's really great to see from Reese that he's, it's really all coming together for him. This has been just a fabulous few months of form. He has not picked up an injury in a while, which is not usually the case for Reese. We're going to knock on wood that that will continue as they have three Eredivisie matches left. They have the semifinal with Marseille, which hopefully they can th- go through and make the final. You know, the more matches, the better for Reese. Obviously, when he's playing for a trophy, that's even better. You'd love to see him get that kind of experience. Uh, and the only last thing I'm going to say was when he moved to the left wing in that win against Fortuna Sittard in the Eredivisie this weekend. It was a little interesting to see how he played much wider and much closer to the sideline when he was on the left wing. And to me, it seemed like on the right side, he feels comfortable with dribbling because he likes to dribble on his right foot and he has the sideline kind of as a barrier. No defender is going to come on to him from that side. But when he's on the left side, he has to protect the ball a little bit more. So he likes to be a little bit wider, have a little bit more space to operate in. It's just interesting to see. Um, I'll keep track of that. I think the right wing is where his future is, but obviously he does have that flexibility. He's played quite a bit of left wing at all levels of football, but some really great appearances here for Reese, and we'll continue to see how he does in the final few matches of the season, and hopefully they'll move on um, to the Conference League final. And another player who's hoping to do that same thing is Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Maitland-Niles actually did not feature in the first leg of Roma semifinal with Leicester in the Conference League as they drew 1-1. It's all to play for for them coming into the second leg. But Ainsley did get his very first appearance in Serie A since February 19, his first start since February 19, and he played 58 minutes at right wing back in a nil-nil draw with Bologna. And I have to say... You know, obviously when you're mostly coming in as a late substitute or you're playing in a conference league match with not the first team and, you know, you don't really get those experiences that you need to get in order to get into a groove, Malin Isles played quite well in this cameo. Beautiful 60 minutes he played. Finally looked like he was comfortable in the role. He seemed to have the right attitude. He was aggressive. He was on it. He was, you know, trying to win 50-50 balls, not just kind of walking around. As Sometimes, you know, with his body language, it's hard to tell if it's an attitude thing or just kind of the way his mannerisms are and how he operates. But he had an excellent match here. He was 20 of 23 passing, one key pass, two of three on long balls, one of one on successful dribbles. He won five of his eight duels and won two tackles. So, we all know this is the kind of play. These are very, very similar stats to what Maitland Niles was doing when he was in a good run of form with Arsenal, playing both in a back four and a back five at right back for Arteta when he got that England call up. So we all know he can be that player, and I don't think that's ever been a question. Obviously, mindset and attitude has always been the issue, and it's just interesting to see a comparison of his mindset versus somebody like Saka, right? When Saka came into the team, they played him at left wing back. Then they played him at left back. He's played some left center mid. He's played some left wing. He's played some right wing. He's played in nearly every position on the pitch. 
and he's never once said anything about it. And obviously, Sokka is special in so many, so many ways. He is just an unbelievable footballer and will be generational at the very least. I think he is a top five youngster in the world, and I don't think there are many who watch him week in and week out that would disagree. But Ainsley Maitland-Niles just doesn't seem to have that mindset about anything. I mean, even when he was playing in central midfield for most of the season, he didn't seem to be happy the few times he was called upon to either play in a wingback role or to come off the bench. He just doesn't seem to be happy unless he's starting in the position he wants to be in at the times he wants to be there. And so you have to question that as a player. But obviously a great performance here for him. The first one in a while, when a player's not getting that groove, it's hard to come in and just you know make it an impact, especially as a substitute. But he was progressive in this match. He was an outlet. He was solid defensively, which we know we can be. He's pocketed a few players on those wings in his day as an Arsenal player. And, you know, he was quite creative, even though he was pretty much the widest player on the pitch the entirety of the match. I mean, when you're playing in that role, you're often heels against the sideline. And that's how Maitland-Niles was. He was really successful crossing the ball, you know, and switching the field, which you love to see from your wingbacks. And let's see if he gets another appearance. I mean, they've got three Serie A matches left. The semifinal with Leicester, the second leg, where it's 1-1 right now. Let's see if they make the final. would be interesting to see if... Roma make the final and Feyenoord make the final. I mean, the chances of Maitland-Niles featuring in a semifinal or a final at this point for Mourinho, I think are slim to none, but anything's possible with injuries. Either way, Maitland-Niles, good to get just, you know, an appearance in here and there, helps his transfer value. Obviously, don't see him staying at Arsenal any longer, but to see that he can still come in and put in these performances will help us sell him in the future, and we'll see where he goes. I'll be very interested to see what his next move is because... It's not even clear. Like, obviously, when he went to Roma, Mourinho didn't tell him he was playing central midfield. He has not featured there once. So he is willing to play in that position on the wing when he's asked to. I don't know. The whole thing is, like, there has to be so much more to the story than anybody on the outside knows. And I hope we all learn about it one day or maybe when he leaves Arsenal. You know, anybody who leaves Arsenal recently loves to talk shit about Arsenal. So I'm sure we'll get it from Ainsley once his transfer goes through. Speaking of wingbacks, Brooke Norton Cuffey's season has come to a close, and what a blast it's been to watch him play senior football. I know he finally has picked up the recognition from the international media that he deserves. Even Fab is talking about him, which is, you know, that's when you've made it. Um, but really a great performance here yet again to finish the season, playing 90 minutes at right back in a 2-1 win over Crew, where his mate Ryan Alabiosu is featuring on the other side, uh, playing right back for Crew. And 33 of 41 passing for Brooke. Two key passes, completed both of his crosses, two successful dribbles, uh, three of his five duels were won, two clearances, and an interception, perfectly summing up the season that he's had. I was able to watch most of this match. I actually had to, had to walk out for the last 30 minutes or so of it, but Brooke was excellent. Uh, he was incredibly unlucky not to have an assist. Um, really took on his defender with another one of those, he just really identifies space in such an interesting way. I mean, I, I'm personally one of the slowest people you have ever seen, so I would never identify space like this. But it was just a situation where you look at where the players are on the pitch and you would never think to yourself, I can knock this ball into some space and beat the defender. But Brooks sees that, and he does it. And he had a left back who was kind of stumbling and, and on his heels, and Brooke just played it into a little bit of space to get around him, made a low, hard cross right on the six-yard box. Attacker hit it hard, unluckily, right at the goalie, but could have been an assist. 
And, and it's just great to see that Brooke can do this on a consistent basis. It's the same thing I was saying about Reese Nelson. Youngsters are often so hard to evaluate because they can have flashes of brilliance here and there because they're all very skilled footballers. But if you don't have the intelligence and the ability to identify when you can do these things at consistent rate, that's when you kind of fall off and you don't make it at the top level. And Brooke has been pretty consistent for a guy who only got the chance to play 20 senior matches of football this year. And I will say, even in the U23s in the first half of the year, he was battling injury. He wasn't starting every match. He, he really didn't get a consistent run of games until he was at Lincoln. Um, unluckily, not to have that assist, as I was saying. But just to recap his season, he had 16 starts and 20 matches played, uh, 17 of those in League One, three of those in the uh, League Trophy. He had an assist, a goal, two big chances created this season. He was averaging over a half of the key pass per game and 73% passing accuracy. That obviously will need to go up um, as time goes by. If he wants to play in a top side, that number needs to be closer to 78%, give or take. But keep in mind that, you know, Lincoln City, many of these games were being stuck in, having trying to play out the back. Brooke Norton Cuffey obviously being their main outlet and asked to do quite a bit. So you would have to assume that number would already be a little bit higher and a bit, a bit of a better team and a team that controls possession a little bit more. But really great to see these kinds of attacking numbers from a guy who can pretty much now play in a back four or a back five. As I mentioned at the beginning of this loan, it was going to be interesting to see how he translated in a back four. And he really worked on that defensive aspect of his game. As I'm about to cover, he was winning over a tackle per game um, he was winning over four duels per game at a, at 50% mark, which is pretty good. You'd like to see that be over 50%. He was right under 50%. But again, he grew a lot defensively as the season went on. When he got there, I was worried he was going to be exposed pretty much every game as a defender. And by the end, he didn't look that way. He didn't look lost on defense in any way, shape, or form. The last thing I'm going to say about Brooks' season is that he finished second in League One in successful dribbles per game at just over one and a half successful dribbles per game. And that is just unbelievable for a kid who had never played senior football to come in with that kind of confidence and be just going for it, just taking it to defenders on a week-by-week -week basis. It's lovely to see. And as I mentioned on the other side in this match, you had Ryan Alabiosu making his second start in return from injury. And he played 48 minutes at right back, and if you remember from last week, I mentioned that he didn't seem fully fit and up to the task. But he looked a lot more comfortable in this match. He looked like he was ready to play again, like he wasn't being tentative, and that he kind of you know, let the game come to him and, and feel himself into it. Instead of just looking a little bit nervy and really trying to force an impact, he let the game come to him. He was 15 of 18 passing. A shot on target, which was a beauty, blasted it off of his left foot. Keeper made a nice save, but really an excellent ball strike. Uh, he had two of two successful dribbles, three of three ground duels won, an interception and a tackle. So clearly a lot more comfortable in this match. Uh, I ducked out right after he was subbed off. But an excellent match for Ryan. And, you know, unfortunately he was only able to make six appearances during this six-month loan uh, due to that injury that happened after his fourth appearance. But... You'll definitely see another loan move for Ryan next season. I think it'll be to the championship. We'll see who comes knocking, but he really has the physical attributes to play in the championship, so I'd like to see his skills tested at that level. Speaking of the championship, our two favorite players in the championship, Fuller and Balagoon and Daniel Ballard, both did not play this week. Balagoon was an unused substitute in a 3-1 win over Stoke City. 
Uh, Burrow went up 2-0 early on, and they just needed to sit back, hold on to the lead as they needed the three points to continue to fight for promotion. Uh, they didn't bring on any attackers in the second half. And now Burrow are one match left, two points behind Sheffield United and Luton Town. Both were on 72 points. Burrow are on 70 points. And those are the last spots in the playoff promotion race. Uh, let's see how it goes for Middlesbrough. We'd love to see Balagoon get a chance to play in the playoffs. Uh, they play Preston, who have nothing to play for. Sheffield United face Fulham, who have already clinched the title. And Luton play Reading, who have nothing to play for. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, as I mentioned, Daniel Ballard also did not play. He picked up a slight quad injury. And if Millwall are unable to make the promotion playoff, Millwall sit on 69 points, then you won't see Ballard play again this season. But Millwall play Bournemouth, who have already secured promotion. They're three points behind Luton and Sheffield United and one behind Burrow, as I mentioned. And their only way to make it is with a win and some help on goal differential. Uh, Millwall's goal differential is nine. Middlesbrough is 12. Luton's is 7, and Sheffield United's is 14. So there's a lot to play for for these four teams here. We'd really like to see Balagoon and Ballard both get into the playoff, which is nearly impossible, but there is a chance if both Borough and Millwall win, Luton Town and Sheffield United both lose, and Sheffield United loses by, like, three and Millwall wins by three. I mean, a lot of crazy crap would have to happen, but it would be fun. It would be fun to see them both make it in and get our guys that kind of experience. But as I said, great season from Ballard so far. He's starting to get a little bit talked about. Uh, some of you saw George Bird's article kind of saying that Arsenal might look to sell, which is what I've been saying for weeks now. But who knows? As I said, if Millwall go up, I think Daniel Ballard gets sold to Millwall. I think he has been such a crucial part to their season. I'd like to see Millwall go up just for that very reason, although I do hate their fans pretty much more than any fans on earth. They are the most racist fans. They are horrific people. But we'd like to see Daniel Ballard get that experience in the Premier League, and his price tag goes up if a Premier League club comes in to buy him. Speaking of leaving Arsenal this summer, Jordi Osei Tutu finished up his loan move at Rotherham with a 2-0 win over Gillingham to guarantee promotion to the championship. He played 67 minutes at left wing back. And just to be clear, Rotherham scored a goal early and they just kind of conservatively protected the lead and wanted to secure promotion. So Jordi did not have his best game going forward simply because that was not in the plans for Rotherham. Uh, they got that goal early on, sat back, and Jordy was asked to do quite a bit defensively. And a big reason why he didn't play 90 minutes is because we all know that's not his favorite thing to do. Uh, they got the early goal. He won six out of eight duels, three clearances, one interception, three tackles. And it's really nice to see that when called upon, Jordy can do that. And that will be huge for a team that's just been promoted to the championship, a team that's going to be looking to add squad depth and quality to their team for next season. And I think that there's a good chance Rotherham will bring Jordy in as an option uh, for their defense next season. I think they'll try and bring him in on a free and, and see what he can do for them in the championship. I'll be very interested to see where Jordy ends up. But, you know, Rotherham clearly liked his versatility of being able to play on both sides of their back five. And he played quite a bit for them when he was healthy, even when he wasn't fully fit. So that's my guess for where Jordy Osei Tutu finds himself next year. And... If we're talking versatility, obviously our most confusing player on loan, Harry Clark, started this week at right wing back, 
playing 90 minutes in a 1-0 loss to Livingston as Hibs were not at their best on this day. And the sporadic, energetic, and freakish Harry Clark continues to confound and confuse me on a weekly basis. He was 34-48 passing, which is much better than last week where he completed like 52% of his passes. He had two key passes, completed four crosses, completed eight long balls. I mean, these stats, like, do they even sound real to you guys? Because this is insane. He, he completed three dribbles, he won seven of 15 duels, and he was dribbled past once. So, like, it's the same thing we're saying every week. When he tries something and it comes off, it can be excellent. And that works for a team like this. A team that's kind of been battling relegation, doesn't have any huge aspirations, plays a little bit of a frantic style uh, of footy, but obviously he's not winning nearly 50% of his duels. He is getting dribbled past. He's out of position, but he really does try to make things happen all over the pitch. Um, and, you know, Hibbs had 18 shots in this game and pretty much dominated the game, but they had zero shots on target. And that also, to me, describes Harry Clark, where it's like, you keep trying, 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 and it doesn't always work. And Harry Clark keeps trying, 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 and it doesn't always work. And he finds himself in the box with the ball so often for a right wing back. Like, I, I keep saying he's playing right wing back because simply in formation as a defense, that's where he is. When the positioning of that team is able to be the way the manager has set them up, that's where he is. But, I mean, he spends most of his time when Hibbs have the ball as a right winger. I mean, he is an attacker through and through when Hibbs have the ball. And then the question is, can he do his defensive responsibility justice when he's called upon? And oftentimes he can't. So we'll see kind of what his role will be next year. I think Hibbs are likely to make some changes. I don't know enough to, to really speculate on that too much. But he's got another 12-month loan at Hibs. There are options for Arsenal to bring him back in this summer. There are options for Arsenal to bring them, him back in January. I don't think he'll exercise either of those. I actually think he'll become a Hibs player long term, or at least somewhere in the Scottish League that has suited him quite well on his two loans. Uh, but Hibs have three matches left. We'll continue to watch Harry Clark and, and see as much Hibs as we can. But he is really such a confounding player. I'd be interested to see somebody do a, a more complete and in-depth scouting report on him and Anybody who is similar to him. I mean, I'm not going to say Marcus Alonso is similar to him because Marcus Alonso obviously has had an unbelievable career. I mean, the murder aside and the horrible human being that he is, he's had an unbelievable career. But that's kind of the comparison I want to make. Just a guy who really is a complete liability on defense but can make quite a bit happen offensively and score quite a few goals and, and has that technical quality. I mean, like Harry Clark simply can't be asked to play as a center back or right back, which is what he was playing at youth levels. But in this system and what he was doing at Ross County beforehand, he's just all over the place. Another guy whose future is heavily up in the air and clearly not at Arsenal is Matthew Smith, who finished his season. He played 85 minutes in a 1-1 draw with Oxford United and Doncaster already were relegated from League One, but now obviously completely finished that season. And this match was kind of a nothing. I couldn't even really watch the whole thing because there was just no intensity to it. Neither side had anything to play for, and that was obvious from watching. We're not going to talk too much about this specific match. Matthew Smith was 20 of 26 passing on the day, but as I said, there wasn't much to this match. But we'll just look at his season as a whole. 
He played 43 matches in League One, one EFL Cup match, three League Cup trophy matches, and two FA Cup matches for 49 total appearances and 43 starts. That is just a fabulous loan period, regardless of performance. Obviously, when you play that often, your performance isn't too bad. I mean, the manager is not going to keep trusting you. Two different managers are not going to keep trusting you uh, if you're struggling at that level. But we expected a lot more from Matthew Smith, who on previous loans has really had a higher return, both in goal and assist numbers and and just overall statistics. Uh, He only had two assists in the 49 matches, zero goals. He created six big chances, and keep in mind he had created zero before the new manager came in in the winter. Uh, he was averaging one key pass per game, which is pretty on par with what I would expect for him. He is a creative passer, and that is his best asset. But only 76% passing accuracy. We'd like to see that closer to 80%. As I was mentioning earlier, you want to be in that 78 to 82% range. That's pretty much the average of where you need to be. Again, the quality surrounding you really will affect that. But Matthew Smith's next season is likely going to be in League One. I don't see him signing a contract with a team in a higher division than League One. So that's a little bit troubling, and that's going to be a big question mark. But also, he's a player who wasn't really in the right system all year, if you ask me, but that did help him improve defensively quite a bit, which was something he needed to do. Uh, He was averaging two tackles per game this year and and winning three and a half duels per game this year. That's a lot higher than what you had seen previously from him. He was usually playing a little further forward. He played a lot deeper this year, especially since Doncaster were pretty much getting outplayed every match. Um, But, you know, again, great loan move, lots of experience. I'm sure he will find a club in League One next year to play for, and and I hope he can succeed in the right system. He certainly has a lot of technical skill and a lot of ability. Uh, It's really just a matter of finding that right system for him and and getting both a good run of games and, and finding some quality around him that can take advantage of his passing and vision. His vision is definitely his highest asset. He really can see the pitch in front of him and pick a line-breaking pass. But if players aren't making those runs and getting into those spaces, you're not going to see the best from Matthew Smith. And that is is simply what happened this year. And although his Arsenal career is likely over, it's been a joy to support him and watch him. And I'll continue to keep an eye on him just because, you know, it's fun to see players from Hale End succeed in their own ways. And just to wrap it up from this week, as I mentioned at the top, Tyrese John Jules, his season seems to be over. Sheffield Wednesday will face Sunderland in the League One playoffs uh, for promotion, but obviously he has not played since January, so even if he was to return to fitness, it's unlikely you would see him. Tim Akinola still out through injury. Doesn't seem that he'll be returning as Dundee have just two matches remaining. Carl Hine, obviously missing out on that freak accident injury. Uh, Reading have one match left to play, nothing to play for. I doubt you'll see him. Uh, but likely a move back to the championship for him next season for a whole year, and that is going to be very exciting. I'm very excited to watch him every week. He is such an amazing goalie prospect. And then Nikolai Moeller, unfortunately, has missed out through a foot injury and unlikely to feature again for Den Bosch as they have just one match left. But we're hoping to see Moeller in the championship next season testing his skills, his physicality, And I'd like to see those English defenders be a little bit puzzled by the freakishness and the athleticism that Nikolai Moeller possesses because it is not what you see ordinarily when you're going up against championship-level strikers. And that'll do it for us this week. We've got a huge match with Leeds on Sunday. Huge match. Liverpool need to do their job and kick Tottenham's ass. 
then we need to do our job and kick Leeds' ass. I'd like to change that goal differential that Tottenham have over us quite a bit. I'd like to change that a little bit in case it comes down to that. I know that's highly unlikely that we're going to be able to win that goal differential, but I don't know. Liverpool win 3 or 4 nil. We win 2 or 3 nil, and things change a little bit. I don't know. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with hoping. And then obviously we'll be keeping tabs on Reese Nelson playing in the Conference League semifinal on Thursday, May 5th against Marseille. Feyenoord with a one-goal advantage going into that. I will likely be live-tweeting that, depending. I have some things tomorrow I have to take care of, but we'll watch that game. We'll report back next week. We'll have to wrap up a few more player seasons next week. Hopefully, we got Daniel Ballard and Fuller and Balagoon both heading into the playoff promotion. Maybe neither are. Maybe one will. Who knows? But great to catch up with everybody. Great to talk about Away from Hale End and the players on loan. And I will be joining another podcast next week as a guest. So stay tuned for more information on that. I'm very excited to be doing this. And I'll talk to you guys soon.